Welcome to the Soccer Geeks Podcast, hosted by Jason Barbato. Hey everybody, welcome to the Soccer Geeks Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Barbato, along with our executive producer, Marissa Kelly. We'd love to welcome you to the podcast today. We have a really good show lined up. We hope you have a great time. Marissa, what do we have for us today? Today we have Andrew Hosmer. Hosmer. I mean, I guess we'll ask. Uh, it's weird because yeah, you pronunciation. Get, you, get, sure. um, you meet people virtually, right? And you don't you don't get that traditional handshake. But he sure. is uh, with the New England Revolution. He's the business intelligence supervisor. So we're gonna be chatting with him in just a little bit. But if you are watching, thank you for watching and supporting Soccer Geeks Mission. And uh, we really are excited for this conversation today. So uh, I'll bring him in. Hey, Andrew. Andrew, welcome to the show, buddy. How are you doing? Living the dream, guys. Happy to be here. Fantastic. Well, you know, here at Soccer Geeks Podcast, we want to invite you to live the game. So hopefully for the next 30, 40 minutes, we'll invite you just to kind of go down memory lane a little bit and kind of share a little bit about your past experience, your current experience, kind of what you're hoping for in the future around the game of soccer. But we'd just like to, to welcome you. And uh, we're looking forward to being able to spend some time with you today. Always happy to participate in the conversation. Sounds good. Awesome. Sounds good. Awesome. Well, I'll, I'll let you guys get to your conversation and I'll be back towards the end. Thank you. A wonderful wizard of Oz. Go back behind yeah. the curtain. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Brissa. Hey, um, Andrew. So what I want to be able to get into today is, you know, we'd love to be able to, to, to give our audience kind of a sense of your level of engagement of the game, you know, over the course of your life. And, and not only your life, you know, uh, growing up, but also engaging from a career aspect and then looking down the future of what are some of the, the, the effective changes that you'd love to be able to see um, enacted in the game on your watch, so to speak. And so um, starting this out, you know, would you please just kind of share a little bit about uh, where you grew up playing soccer, kind of what levels you played at uh, here domestically in the U.S.? Yeah, of course. So I was lucky enough to be raised in Scottsdale, Arizona, and that meant we could play year round. So I never had to have a winter break by any means. Um, played on various AYSO teams from recreational to competitive up until I want to say the last time I was playing in a club atmosphere was around when I entered fifth grade, just starting uh, middle school. From then on, uh, I was a part of a small schools division in the state of Arizona. So my school didn't have a football team. Football typically is the fall sport. Soccer was then moved to fall. And that I had to make a choice pretty early on of because of the state rules, you cannot play both club and high school at the same time. So I picked mostly because of a strong nucleus of friends and connections I had within my schools I picked to play for my school through freshman year through high uh, through senior year in high school on uh, varsity and had tried many times to kind of see if there's any way around that rule to get onto a club team but you know s schedules and whatnot uh, conflicted and so that wasn't there but was fortunate enough my senior year to get connected with a trainer through a friend who uh, I originally actually did not connect with at all. And he was one who was very unorthodox and growing up playing in AYSO system, practices are always very structured. 
there was always an understanding of an end goal to whatever you were doing. When I came in to train with, his name's Meyer. When I came in to train with Meyer, there was seemingly no idea what was going on. It was just kind of throwing cones around, telling me to r- dribble, do random moves and whatnot. And I knew that if my goal was to play at the NCAA level, I thought, well, I've done things one way my whole life. I might as well try to do it differently to see if I could shake okay. things up. Had no offers. Uh, just wanted, knew I wanted to play. So bought into the system and quickly uh, developed a great relationship with him and was able to fall in love with the process and the grind of, of day-to-day training sessions, oftentimes twice a day. And unfortunately it was a little bit, a little too little too late. And uh, when I got to Claremont McKenna, which is a small division three school outside of Los Angeles, um, that I was not afforded the opportunity to play at the NCAA level. So I was given a choice and I pivoted and as a multi-sport athlete in high school, soccer, basketball, and baseball, I knew I wanted to compete at some, being an athlete, and especially in the academic sphere had always been a part of my identity. So I knew I wanted to compete for something. And if I wasn't going to have that opportunity in soccer, it was going to be something else. Somehow I thought, Oh, let me just email the football coach because I've never played football before in my life. And uh, one of my buddies happened to be transferring and he was the kicker on the football team. And well, sure enough, I was pretty good at kicking. So, uh, you know, tried out, made the football team and ended up spending about two and a half years. Um, We won the conference championship in 2018 for the first time since the late eighties. I think it was 30 years almost. And uh, having the opportunity to kind of expand and use the most of my athleticism that I had left. Now I didn't make it to my senior year. I had a lingering knee injury from high school that put off surgery and decided to when I got to my junior year and wasn't playing at all, I knew it was time for me to kind of make a decision that was going to be best for my long-term health. And uh, Mm -hmm. then was able to kind of stick with a lot of the connections I had made in the athletic sphere by uh, going into the broadcast booth. So I was the uh, color commentator for the football broadcast, as well as doing play-by-play for men's and women's basketball, lacrosse, baseball, whatever it is. So kind of, I think the larger theme there is doing whatever I could to connect myself, to continue to grow and expand my network because I knew I wasn't going to follow kind of a traditional career path. And obviously once that playing component was taken out of the equation, then I was forced to make a decision. And that's kind of Mm -hmm. another common theme is we're going to be approached by many complex and difficult choices and uh you know whatever that choice ends up being it's been difficult in the short term to see what the long-term benefit's going to be and obviously being sure. 23 and being just not even two years out of my undergrad there's still you know so much that has to be found but 
uh, yeah, that'll give you a pretty good idea of, yeah, you know, no, it does. It gives, it gives a, it really gives a really good kind of bookend idea of like your playing career, so to speak, your interaction with the game. And it seems that there, you know, from what you shared, there was a couple different kind of forks in the road where decisions had to be made. Um, you know, I know that on one end, that rule, you know, that kind of kept you from playing high school and playing on a competitive team has most recently been overturned, so to speak, or changed, or at least it has here in California. I know ECNL rules have changed uh, across the nation, I think. And so uh, what a tough what a tough uh, decision to ask kids to make, whether to not play on their high school team or to play in ECNL, although I, I can genuinely see both sides of that argument. Um how did that, um, you know, obviously you felt that that kind of really affected your options. And we talked about, you know, development and, and finally getting into like that, that place where it seemed like once you actually got to college and really wanted to push, that's when you really wanted to get really serious about your playing career. But it was really too late uh, for you, unless you're the latest bloomer ever in the history of soccer. Um, but it was really too late at that point. Looking back, um, going down to like kind of your younger years um, and thinking of playing as you were coming up, do you think that there were other opportunities for um, for that to have been different, or you know, or were you just in a different state of mind as a player growing up, where you're like, yeah, you know, I'm doing this, it, it, you know, I'm here with my friends. This is the most important thing is the social component of it and having a good time playing the game. You know, do you think that there's something that kind of held you back from having that conversation about? your dreams and your ambitions with the game earlier. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I want to, I don't necessarily want to frame it as a regret or something that I feel, well, let's be honest, looking back now, I understand I didn't put in the work in the necessary time to get to where I wanted to be. And when I first entered high school, and I had to make a choice of, you know, having the opportunity to go to a school where I can play three different sports and be an active contributor in all three versus foregoing that and a lot of those relationships that came with it and being very serious about the sport of soccer. Statistically speaking, I was actually a much better baseball player than I was soccer. But right, I, I think enough. part of I think part of that was because I didn't place such high expectations on myself playing baseball than playing soccer because when I entered freshman year in high school, the thought kind of started to go into my head of I want to play past high school and potentially even pro. And I didn't take the steps necessary to prepare myself. Now also I was in I was in a family that prioritized academics and I was also in a family where nobody had ever been a college athlete before and very few had even played in high school. So there was a lot of unknown around that. Yeah. Not can't a lot of context. Blame, yeah. Yeah. And can't yeah. blame anybody about that. You know, I, uh, my parents still gave me all the opportunities and it was up to me to take advantage of that. Sure. But the one thing that I do look back on is a lot of those times that I had fun in high school and even college playing a sport that I'd never played before and getting to win a championship was just doing something different and not being quote unquote a pigeonholed into, you know, one specific path starting from a young age, mm -hmm. the ability to play football 
at the NCAA level showed me one, because I was terrified the whole time. I had no idea what I was doing. It was something that I knew at the time I had to do because one, you're only in college once and I didn't want to be spending more than four years in college. The second part being, you know, given my knee and I had to have surgery my junior year and other issues, I knew I only had so much time to play at a high competitive level. And Mm -hmm, it mm -hmm, came mm -hmm. down, it came down to those connections and just being in that team environment and competing for one common goal. Again, I love the sport of soccer more than anything. And I want to continue to give myself to the game, but also what's incredibly important and which I think is a common theme amongst a lot of athletes is the competitive nature and just getting to a point to where you can compete and win for something. So those two uh, components, I think almost even it out and that, yeah, I didn't get to play soccer, but I did get to do something that I never would have imagined myself doing. Sure. And we had success at it too. Yeah. So you got to play a game that you grew up and you loved it and it afforded you other opportunities. It so happened it was in, in the short term, right? In another sport where you got to kind of experience some, a different level of success, right? A different level of achievement than you had before. But kind of that talk, talk me through a little bit of that post collegiate um, move there for you, you know, playing, you know, playing, playing American football and then kind of going into really wanting to go and getting involved back into soccer. Um, As I, you know, as you've shared with me in the past before, um, you know, you kind of had a certain level of skill set in the classroom that you felt would be very valuable uh, in the soccer Uh, soccer realm so can you kind of you know briefly kind of talk about that pivot where you kind of saw those skills and where what kind of really piqued your interest and kind of where you started running with that yeah I I'll go back to gosh 2012 or 2013 hadn't if you had you know gone on tv on a Saturday it might be one Premier League match on tv in the U.S. and MLS was maybe once a week as well So there wasn't too much exposure to the professional game. My uncle, so a lot of my family is from the Pacific Northwest um, in Portland. And I had, when was I? We were there. Let me me cover some of these scarves in the back for you. You're going to be all right. Yeah. Um, The first game I ever attended was uh, Portland Timbers match, sitting in the Timbers army. And that right then and there, right was right before I was getting into high school that was what sold me I didn't know people were this passionate about the sport of soccer in the U.S. yeah yeah I you know you grow up and maybe one kid at school's got a uh you know a a David Beckham LA Galaxy kit but uh other than that you know there wasn't too much exposure to that right so seeing the passion there first kind of put the thought in my mind of like okay this is something that I can kind of get into And then all the opportunities that I had to, you know, whether it was uh, going to the Desert Diamond Cup, which was down in Tucson and Portland happened to be one of the teams that was there going, hanging out, getting to meet the players, the coaching staff, uh, just made it a little bit more real. And it wasn't so much of 
you know, growing up, going to a Suns game and watching, you know, Steve Nash, it's like that is so much more distant of a possibility than, you know, when you actually meet these people and it becomes a little bit more of a reality. Yeah, and the access, yeah. Exactly. So go through high school, try to convince my friends to watch MLS. It was an uphill battle. But sure. uh, getting to college and when I first kind of found out that playing at the varsity level wasn't going to be in the writing for me, I had made a friend and we both were like, well, how can we give opportunities to kids like us who weren't at that level, but still wanted to play competitively. So when I first started to venture into sort of that more operational backroom type of space, we had actually started our own amateur club, did all the fundraising, all the uh, anything from, you know, fields, negotiating with the league, ref fees, anything, you name it, we did it. And I was actually playing on that team while also playing football while also running the team and you know the story I mean I was dead tired and I didn't uh, I don't think I could ever do that again but it was so worth it because it allowed me as you had mentioned to kind of understand that my impact on the game can be made off the field and that's a huge realization too and I still believe me it's not you know I would still love to be playing and it kills Absolutely. me every time. And, right. uh, but that allowed me to then, okay, what can I look for in a professional sphere that can allow me to continue to kind of expand my skill set? Because I was at a liberal arts school, I was studying economics, that can mean a lot of things, but I wanted to focus more in the finance and statistical realm because. I've always been a numbers guy. I hated English class in high school. Anyways, then freshman summer, thought, hey, why not? Sent off an application to the Portland Timbers and uh, totally forgot I even applied. Ended up getting offered a job as a coach for for their youth program. So moved out to Portland, stayed with my aunt and uncle, lived in the basement and ran uh, camps for, I think it was, ages like five to 13 for kids for the whole summer mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. beginning the the coaching licensing process i thought okay well if i can't play maybe i can coach yeah that summer writing essentially a state of the union on the u.s soccer federation player development and what happened in 2014 world cup and what we need to do to prepare for 2018 Obviously, we know what happened in 2000. We needed to prepare better, Andrew. <laughs> that's, that's the conclusion of the paper. We needed to yeah. prepare better. Yeah. Essentially, sure. that was the conclusion. Um, yeah. And so, again, there's taking whatever opportunity I could to, to learn and grow within the game. Junior year comes around. My career is over in knee surgery, kind of just down, trying to figure out, like, comprehend the fact that you know, I'm no longer competing at a level of where I want to compete at. One of my roommates at the time who was on a, on the baseball team, he had gotten an email from an alumni who worked at this company was looking to hire interns from Claremont. So, but the one area that they hadn't ventured into was major league soccer. I was like, well, Hey, I happen to know some people there. 
and I was working in uh, marketing at the time for that company. And I just so happened to be sitting next to the head of institutional sales in the office and just started to begin to pick up things from him and gather uh, sort of more or less his sales pitch and try to better understand how we can sell the product. And then more so it was just out of my own ambition or whatever it was, just asked and said, hey, can I start selling? And they said, sure, go ahead. And so I had begun to reach out to all my contacts in you know, Portland, Toronto, um, San Jose, wherever it was, and had then subsequently set up meetings. And in conclusion of my internship with that company, had gone on a 2,000-mile road trip down the West Coast selling product to MLS teams on the West Coast. That was kind of an important point, more or less, because it taught me one just don't be afraid to ask. Like it can't yeah. hurt. And that gave me something, you know, concrete on my resume that I don't think a lot of other people have had that opportunity to actually see a full cycle, full sales cycle, and actually be spearheading that opportunity. And it also continued to build my name and my reputation in MLS doing something radically different, which is, you know, nobody from Claremont goes to work in professional sports. Everybody right. follows the traditional path. Everybody right. in my family had followed the traditional path. And, and even the traditional path of what you thought it might look to get into professional sports is still very unorthodox, right? So exactly. what I think is really neat is that, and what can be really encouraging to the audience, especially kids that are, are players, you know, that are younger now, whether they're boys or girls, right? Is that, you know, you wanted to intern with the Portland Timbers, they gave you an opportunity. You wanted to, to have a summer job with the Phoenix Rising. Hey, they, they had an opportunity that's there. The, the beautiful thing in our country now is that we're coming pretty close to, I think, 100 or nearly 100 professional soccer organizations in the country, like genuinely like professional ones. Plus, there's a lot of that are semi-pro. So there's a lot of opportunities to kind of come up in the ranks. Um, I know that, you know, your, your title, you know, at the revs, the new England revolution, um, it's business intelligence supervisor, which, um, I've intentionally tried to make sure I don't say British intelligence officer, um, <laughs> every time, but you know, that's kind of where, where the land you're, you're, or the role you've kind of landed in now. Um, and you kind of just, were getting on the cusp of that kind of that conversation of like trying to get into the professional aspect but you used kind of some of the, the things that you really resonated with you about the sport as not only some of the experience you had, but also some of that economic background, too, of just trying uh, of using that plus data analytics to get your foot in the door. Can you kind of speak to where you thought that was of, of high value to a professional sports organization? It was difficult because you're starting your career and you want to take those opportunities when they come. But you also, I think, and something that I was taught was to, you can actually be picky. You don't have to take anything that comes at you. And knowing that gave me the patience to wait until, you know, I was contacted by the revs about this position. Mm -hmm. And I had emailed the president of the club, Brian Bolello, my resume. And I just said it was quick quick shooter. Hey, my name's Andrew. This is what I've done. This is what I can do for you. Forwarded yeah. the email to the guy who hired me, interviewed me twice in 24 hours and received the offer. 
And I knew one, when that happened, that when they see something that they like, they're going to act on it. And that gave me the confidence to know that too, uh, I was going to go into something and build it from the ground up. Business intelligence as a concept has been around traditional industry for a while, but the concept of using data to inform decisions is still relatively new in the sport of soccer. So, yeah. And what is, what does that even mean? Using data to inform decisions? I mean, what type of data are we talking about? Cause there yeah. from on the business, there's the business side, right. And then there's the sporting side. So talking specifically to like the business side, you know, what, what type of, without obviously divulging any like yeah. club secrets or anything like that, or <laughs> algorithms that you guys are doing or formulas, but like, what does that even entail? Like, are we talking, you know, the demographics of people that are spending, you know, 25 to a hundred dollars at a game, you know, are we, what are we talking about? Yeah. And you kind of hit the nail on the head. Okay. There is now we have gone very quickly from having almost little to no data on customers to having way more data. than Like, like really Zuckerberg know. level data or like, what are we talking about? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, without sharing too much, it's, sure. um, and, and for context too, and I want to share my introduction, actually, I started off on the technical side. I was working with Nashville last winter with their scouting department, helping yeah. them build out their South American recruiting strategy. That was my entrance into, okay, well, now I know that there's data involved in the game. Okay. So fast forward to my job with the reps. How can we, the main question is how can we one modernize and two open up any leave no stone unturned so that for instance, if you were a, you purchased a single ticket to a revs game and we can gather information that can help us funnel you through to specific marketing strategy, specific campaigns, specific ways to segment customers in a way to that we can maximize the potential, uh, you know, at the end of the day, these clubs want to make money. And so how can we maximize those opportunities in terms of, of specific data? We actually just had a conversation about, um, you know, our communications, and how does a season member receive different treatment than, you know, a, a multi-game buyer or a single game purchaser? How does somebody, um, how do we convert those individuals? And then also how do we uh, create opportunities out of nothing? And right. having, you know, having a successful team, being in a market like Boston, which is one of the historically greatest sports markets in the country, and having a city that lives, that thrives off of success, when that success comes on the field, a lot of those results come in accordingly. Yeah, But it's business intelligence is everything and it's nothing at the same time. It's marketing and sales but it's also data analytics right it's operations and it's almost even hr so 
there's so much that falls under that umbrella. And that was part of what drew me to this was this opportunity is going to allow me to build a department from scratch. And it's going to allow me to work with people who have been in the industry for a long time and will allow me to be exposed to as much knowledge as I can gain in, the, in my time here. Do you feel that, because um, it's one thing to talk about big data and data gathering, uh, obviously, if you, you're trying to maximize revenue uh, for the club, uh, which, hey, I understand, you know, that's, it's, you know, people think that it's this lucrative business that you guys are just printing money, uh, working for a sports team. But the, the reality is, is that there's a, there's some pretty tight margins, especially in the sport of soccer in this country. There, there genuinely is. Um at what point do you, what do you think it's going to take for professional clubs in this country to, to look at and use data like we've been discussing? Like you said, like there's, there isn't really a data department on the business side. At what point do we act, do the, does it actually flip then to the sporting side where, where professional organizations are, are going to really hone in on gathering data um, and see that player and player development and player pathways, kind of some of the frustrations that you had even growing up. What do you think it's going to take to kind of turn, um, turn the tide for, for front offices to really look at big data as a solution to uh, revenue generation? I think we're beginning to see that transition right now. We have some clubs in this country that, are a little bit of a slow adopter when it comes to using data, whether it's performance data to help on-field decisions or uh, data to help business decisions. There are also some of the clubs in the country who are year in, year out, have not really seen much success on the field, but their business operations are top-notch. Mm -hmm. So we're still in this fledgling stage of kind of figuring things out. And what's great is that the league has allowed clubs, obviously being under being a single entity, these clubs, we are given the opportunity to collaborate, share best practices with others to make sure that we are, because MLS, it, MLS revenue is MLS revenue from top bottom. So they want every club to have success. They're not going to ride the LAs and who else uh, and leave Minnesota in the dust. That's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. So the, but I will say. Which is healthy. I mean, they really promote parity in all things. I mean, I got to plug back in my light here, but they promote parity in all things, parity in the league, parity in the playoffs, parity in even revenue generation. Um, large in part, they'd like to be able to promote parity in player development, but we know that's not necessarily true, right? Minnesota doesn't even have an academy um, at this stage. Um, they've basically exited the market on even having a, an academy, which is uh, incredibly offensive in my opinion. Um, but it's no, good that they I see, mean, they see the value there, right? The pair, the value is there. Um, so let me ask you this question. Um, and we got, we kind of got about, we got about five or seven more minutes, like before we want to wrap up the conversation here, what do you think it's going to take? You know, you, you've been around the landscape, you're in a front office. I mean, obviously, you know, you're building your department as it is, and you've got a pathway that you'd like to head down and, and a ladder that you'd like to climb professionally, um, as you give back to the game. What do you think it's going to take for, 
I mean, for sake, for, for, for the example we're talking about right now, on the data side, what do you think it's going to take a club like Minnesota United to have an academy again and start investing, you know, in-house, uh, things like that, you know, for the new clubs that are being formed or even some of the old guard, the New England revolutions of the world, right, that don't have even their own private stadium and things like that. What is it going to take to help kind of tip those scales? I think there's going to be some new potential revenue that's going to be unlocked. And one you hit on soccer specific stadiums, being able to have control over gate revenue is incredibly important. Now also you've got the Atlantas and the Seattle's of the world that have no problem selling out football stadiums. I don't think those will ever 100% leave, but I do think a move towards that will be important. So unlocking other revenue streams, I think is going to be important when we revisit the uh, broadcast negotiations in 2023. That's going to be huge. Even more. Yeah. Because the, the premier league just got done with theirs and the, the number from that is absolutely astronomical. It's going to, that's going to really help that league continue to get the pay for and afford the biggest players around the world. So now that we have, so there's, there's gate, there's TV MLS next, I think is going to given the structure of major league soccer clubs will quickly realize those who are not participating will quickly realize and I think the league is going to move towards a hopefully a 100% participation right those clubs who are not participating and creating a viable pathway to pro from youth will see where they're lacking there's going to be the Dallas's and the Philadelphia's that are just going to turn out young players yep they're they invest heavy in academies. They, they, they for years have not spent big money on DPs. They for years have really invested. I mean, everyone loves it when they're selling, you know, 10, you know, 10 players, you know, for excessive three to $15 million a pop. Right. Uh, but no one was really willing the seven, eight, nine years ago to, to invest the money in the academies like Philadelphia and Dallas were. Who do you feel are the clubs that are kind of right there in tier two? Like if you were to limit tier two to maybe two to three teams, who would you say are right there that are investing in the academy, investing in data, you know, doing what they can to, to, to have homegrown players and to, to, to develop and to sell or to develop and keep? Who, who are those teams? There's two clubs this year that we saw that were – their hand was forced and they had to play a lot of young players earlier than they wanted to. Seattle being number one, yep. I believe – However many, what, they had six teenagers they started that one game or something? They They had six six players start under the age of 18 years old. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. Uh, Colorado, we've seen momentum with them. And Cole Bassett. Zero DPs on Colorado. Zero designated players. Sammy Vines to to Europe and Cole Bassett soon as well. Um, And maybe Kellen Acosta as well. Yes. Yes. Um, But in terms of pure homegrowns. I mean, we've seen some pop up here and there. I mean, Kevin Paredes and, and, and DC United. Yep. Um, big talent, you know, big talent for Alvarez, Julian Araujo in, 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 in the galaxy. Um, but I think so many clubs 
are still even building out that infrastructure to where we won't quite see, you know, a lot of that development. Um, you know, we look at a couple of years ago, Marco Farfan was the poster child for the Portland Timbers Academy. He was right. the only one that ever made it out, you know, correct. And not even, not even uh, excluding those who were in, who had made it to either USL or, or other levels or NISA. Right. So, um, but I think the key thing and what obviously kind of the crux of this conversation is, is opportunity. And until we begin to allow for there to be ample opportunity for those, even outside of the MLS Academy system and outside of the U S better outside of directly U S soccer Federation academies, a lot of these problems will continue to be around for a while. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, for a while there, even for Portland is Ebo Bise for quite a while. Right. But, you know, unfortunately, you know, the last few years have been a little bit unfortunate as far as his development and career and things like that. But, you know, and we're going to have that. We're going to have the next big thing. We're going to have the hype. And then, you know, guys are going to kind of settle into their career and, you know, or is what it is. And um, but the good thing is, is that people are at least kicking down doors, trying and that's really what it is. Um, looking back uh, through, like you said, through, looking through your career playing the game and your interaction with it. Uh, and one thing I really value and appreciate is that, hey, I didn't have these opportunities or I didn't have that conversation or that thought young enough. And when I did, it was too late. What type of environment could I create for players down the road to have that conversation earlier, to have that conversation sooner? And uh, that's why I just uh, I appreciate and applaud like your efforts. You know, and right now, you know, you're. You're, you're on the biz dev side, you know, for a professional club, but that doesn't mean that down the road that the lessons you're learning today are not going to be able to help a professional club on the other side. Uh, wrapping, wrapping us up here, I got one last question for you. And I just want to ask, you know, if there was one thing in soccer, um, and I'm going to call it soccer on this show, it's called soccer geeks. I'm going to call it that here. It's fine if you call it football, but we call it soccer. Um, if there's one, if, the, if you could wave a wand and you could change one thing about the game in the United States, um, what would that be and how would that make the game better here? Youth coaching, I think okay. giving kids the freedom to play freely at a young age and then slowly layering in structure as they begin to grow and their understanding of the game grows will allow us, I think, to create less of a kind of results-driven win or loss mentality and more of an understanding and a passion and a love for the game. Yeah. What a great answer. How do you think that's going to make the game better? We know the best players in the world and where they come from. The reason they're the best players of the world and they attract the most eyes is because of their uh, attractive style of play. The league and most world soccer is transitioning to focus and to praise strong attacking players. We can see that by the astronomical transfer fees sure so that's where the league is headed and i think we'd be we'd be remiss if we didn't try to jump on that train yeah i think it's a, that's a great answer i think it's it's definitely it's with kids we can't forget the, the coaches who have to lead those kids and, and raise that soccer iq and also give them the ability to dream big uh, andrew i just want to thank you so much for being on the show today um, i applaud all your efforts of what you're doing day in and day out to try to make the game better than you found it and uh so thanks so much for being on the show with uh with us today appreciate the time 
Thank you for having me. Um, Any final uh, wrap up thoughts there, Marissa, from our conversation no, with Andrew today? I think, um, you know, one learning from, from Andrew, obviously, like how, how his path, you know, kind of had to take the pivot. I think it's, it's really important to hear that. And, you know, um, whoever's listening, you know, it's a, you know, he still was able to make an impact and he is making an impact in the game. And so I think that's yep. really important to, to, you know, talk about because it's not just, you know, you're not always going to take the path that, that the next biggest number one striker um, that everyone yep. wants to right away. So that was a, a good thing to hear. And then also how we can, uh, change the game for the future, I think was yep. oh, great I answer. That answer. And, Wasn't that yeah. great? Yeah, yeah. If we could, awesome. if we could just give coaches more tools, which is what yeah. we want to do at soccer geeks. We right. want to be able to provide and give more tools and have be a, be a big hub for the best. Like you said, one of the things I really appreciated, he talked about MLS and best practices. And I experienced this when I was involved in a USL organization as well. They, they wanted to share who was, who was knocking it out of the ballpark. And that wasn't like secret information that only they got to use. They wanted all of the yeah. league to do it because if everybody gets better, the whole game gets better. And I think that's what we have to do to change this tribalistic mentality in, in, in youth soccer in this country is that just mm -hmm. because if, if you succeed, it doesn't have to be at my detriment. And like I can yes. succeed too, and the whole game gets better. That know? does apply to other aspects of in different industries, like like Andrew talked about, like how things, um, you know, in traditional industries, maybe not sports industry, have always done this. You know, they have all of this information. So why can't we do the same right. in a sports industry? Just because it's sports, it doesn't always have to be. Yep. Um, you know, like that. So yeah, it was really good really good uh, yeah. conversation. So if you are um, watching this, listening to this, uh, definitely give us a, a like, a follow uh, wherever you are. Uh, we will be having this on all the podcast platforms and um, you can visit our website. If you are uh, interested in learning more about us at soccergeeks.com. Any last words, Jason? Yeah. Just want to thank everybody for joining the show. want to invite everybody day in and day out, live the game. Thanks yes. for joining the Soccer Geeks podcast, everybody. Have a great day. Bye-bye.